I want you to open your Bible to Philippians chapter number 1. And let's start in verse number 12 and get that, that excitement of the Apostle Paul back into our heart where he's writing to his Philippian supporters, the people who have been sending him finances and uh, who's been praying for him ever since he first came into contact with them on his second missionary journey. And so the fact that he's now in Roman detention in the capital city of Rome, uh, awaiting imperial review and incurring financial um, requirements of keeping his own residence uh, there inside the city, uh, they have sent him cash, and they've sent him a person to run errands for them, apparently. And so Paul sits down and writes a letter to them either in 61, maybe in 62. It'll be during this two-year period that he's awaiting his imperial review. And he writes this letter to let him know, I'm good, and I'm even better because of you. And so, chapter 1, verse 12, he says, Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment or my bonds in the cause of Christ have become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. And that most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment or my bonds, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. So every day there's this rotational schedule of apparently plain-clothed uh, Roman soldiers coming to the place where uh, Paul is living inside the uh, walls of, of Rome, and they take turns being chained to him for a period of time. And some of those people are talking about that experience because they're hearing the gospel. They're hearing Paul engage uh, with students of the word, uh, with people who uh, are seeking his advice, perhaps, of how to do things at different churches around the region. But these Roman soldiers some of them probably have become Christians, but they most certainly are talking about it at the Praetorian headquarters. And so Paul says, I'm good with that uh, because I've got kind of like a captive audience here that just keeps rotating through. And it's not just that. Uh, the people here in Rome that are already believers, they're getting more and more bold about talking about Jesus Christ because it's become part of the uh, of the talking uh, points within the community of Rome itself. Now, he, made, he makes this point. He says, verse 15, Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but, and some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, uh, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my bonds or my imprisonment. And so some are genuine, others are troublemakers. They don't like Paul for some reason. And so they think by the way they word things, the way they talk about the gospel, 
that Paul's going to get himself even more grief. But Paul says, I'm good with this. He says, verse 18, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, that is in genuineness, Christ is being proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. So he says, as long as they're talking about the atoning death of Jesus and the glorious bodily resurrection of Jesus, as long as somewhere along the lines they talk about forgiveness of sin in his name and and they talk about he's coming back again, it doesn't matter if they're saying other things to try to get me in trouble as a preacher of the gospel because at least they're putting some of the basic ideas about the gospel out there into the community. And so I'm happy for that. I'll, I'll, I'll celebrate that. Verse 10, or verse 19, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope, that I will not be put to shame in anything but that with all boldness, Christ will, even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. So now that we're coming to the place where we closed up yesterday. And that is, Paul says, I am confident. I'm starting to feel uh, hopeful that my case will eventually be resolved. I know you're praying for me. I know you're trying to support me during this time here. And I, I fully expect that I will be found not guilty by Emperor Nero, and I'll be released and be able to get out there and preach again. And I will use my body, I'll use 100% of my being to do that preaching. But if by some twist, by some sort of weird occurrence, Nero decides that He's going to have me executed. That's not a big deal either because I'll just be in the presence of Jesus. Uh, He says in verse 21, For to me, to live is Christ, so I am going to live my life in this body for Jesus Christ. Remember the uh, Galatians 2.20 quote, uh, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in this body, I live for him who loved me and gave himself up for me. So Paul puts it here in this fashion, to live is Christ. And then he says, and to die is just gain. See, to be absent from the body is what? To be present with the Lord. That's what he told the Corinthians when he was writing to them. So he says, this is a win-win situation. Either I get to preach to people about Jesus Christ, or I get to go and be with Jesus Christ. There is no downside to this. Verse 22, But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labors for me, and I really don't know which to choose. I'm hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and to be with Christ, for that is very much better. So now he he acknowledges, uh, I can feel myself torn between these two extremes. Uh, I, I could see that I need to be preaching, 
and that means staying in the flesh. But I also see a sweetness in being released from this flesh to go into the presence of Jesus Christ. I know that would be the better thing for me. And then he says this, verse 24, Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. See, the Apostle Paul feels that he can still do an awful lot in his physical body. And so, verse number 25, Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. And so this is the first place that we find that Paul's intention, once he is finished with his imperial review and released, as he expects, that he will make his way to Philippi, among other places. And so later, we will construct a theorized itinerary for the Apostle Paul uh, after he is released from custody. And it will include a stop at Philippi, because that's what he expressed here in this letter. Now, what about the Philippians until the Apostle Paul uh, can make that, uh, that journey, that post-imperial uh, review journey? Verse 27, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I do come or I see you, excuse me, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent. So whether I get there or not, I want you to stay with the gospel. And then I will hear of you that you're standing firm with one in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. That is always Paul's desire. That's his prayer, that everyone will remain faithful to Jesus Christ in their lifestyle and in their interpersonal relations with other people, especially people within the church. So that's his prayer for them. Even if I don't get there, I want to hear that you guys are doing a good job. Uh, Verse 28, In no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. Uh, So he is aware that from the very beginning, when the Philippians embraced the gospel and turned rapidly from their pagan persuasions to the faith in the one true God and in the atoning death and bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, some of the other people in their community started treating them differently, started kind of putting them on a different level as somebody we don't want to have anything to do with. And Paul had told them that that's kind of par for the course. And so here in this letter, he tells them, whether I get there or not, don't be worried about what the people who don't like the gospel do to you. Uh, Because all that's showing is they've got a problem. 
And that problem will result in separation from God for time and eternity, which is not good. But that's the reality. If that's the attitude they have, that's their problem, not yours. Uh, And if you'll keep this faithfulness, if you will remain faithful even unto death, Jesus Christ will award you the crown of life. And so that's why he says, this is going to result in salvation for you. And that's coming from God. Verse 29, For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now hear it to be in me. Uh, Paul was run out of Philippi. I think he was only there like less than a month, three weeks, and he gets run out. And so he tells them, guys, you might be experiencing some of this, but it's okay. You can get through it too. Uh, the stuff that's happening to me now that you're hearing about and you kind of pray about and you're, you've sent somebody here to help me out and you've sent me f- finances to help me pay the bills here. All of that I know is happening because of the gospel and some of the negative kickback that you're getting there from your fellow citizens. It's all because of the gospel. Hang in there. Uh, I'm sure he would want them to remember uh, Jesus' words. In this world, you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. And this brings us then to my favorite chapter in the book of Philippians. Chapter number two. Therefore, If there is any encouragement in Christ, uh, encouragement is this idea of knowing that you're not alone, that there's somebody there with you. Uh, The Holy Spirit is our encourager. He is the one that comes alongside of us and lets us know, you're good to go. Hang with Jesus. So if there's any type of that type of encouragement that comes in Christ, if there's any consolation in love. Um, This is the love of God. If you've experienced the love of God and you have the love of God in you, then you should be persuaded that that makes a difference in your life and it'll make a difference in the way you interact with other people. Uh, If there's any fellowship of the Spirit... Uh, fellowship is having a commonness uh, with certain people. We Christians are brought into fellowship with other Christians by the Holy Spirit. And what is it we have in common? We were sinners in need of a Savior. We embraced Jesus as that Savior. And then we were filled, not just simply with salvation from our sin, but the presence of God himself, the indwelling Holy Spirit. And so we have that in common with other believers. Uh, If there's any affection, uh, this is the common word for emotional attachment, splankna. It's the idea of the gut feel. Uh, So that feeling in the pit of your stomach 
when you get concerned about people that matter to you. That's what he's talking about there. If there's any of that emotional attachment, if there's any type of compassion, um, that is, uh, you have that mercy feeling, you feel for other people. So if you've got any of these things going on in you, which he expected they did, because they are believers in Jesus Christ. And so all of this comes part of that package deal. Uh, when you become a believer, you care. And you become part of a family. You become part of a unit known as the body of Christ. So if you've got any of that, then verse 2, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. So he is going to make a big appeal for unity. In this letter, he'll make another appeal uh, for unity in his Ephesian letter that's really big there in chapter number four. Um, it, it's all connected to Jesus' prayer, Jesus' encouragement to the apostles that they would be one even as he and the Father were one. Uh, he said, if, if you have this love for one another, if you are one, then the world will know that you are my disciples. And knowing that you're my disciples, they will know that I came to die for people's sins. Uh, unity is part of the, the proof and the energy of the gospel. Uh, we Christians, by being connected with people of very diverse backgrounds, uh, we are the proof to the world that God cares about everyone. And it doesn't matter where you're at right now. He will take you and bring you where you need to be through Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so that's what Paul is putting a lot of emphasis on here, is we need unity in the church, and we need to be on the same page, and that page is salvation in Jesus Christ. And that means attitude adjustments. Selfishness is what got us in the sin mess we've been in. And so selfishness and self-centeredness has got to be kicked to the curb when we become believers. When we repent, we have an attitude adjustment. Repentance means change the way you think, right? That's an attitude adjustment. We're bringing our attitudes into alignment with the attitudes of God and God's Word. So verse number three, do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Uh, this is just further application of Jesus' own golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. You think about other people. You care about other people. Uh, love, true love, agape, 
is all about what's best for the other person, regardless of what it might cost me. That's the love that Jesus had for us, which Paul is about to get to. Uh, So he says, do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. So don't be all about yourself. Think about other people. Uh, and that doesn't and that includes people you don't necessarily get along with or who don't really like you. Because as you know from Jesus' own teaching, he said, instead of hating your enemy, love your enemy. Instead of cursing your enemy, bless and pray for your enemy. And instead of doing bad things to your enemy, you know, just like they might do bad things to you, instead of reciprocating, do good things to your enemy. That's a change of attitude. It is bringing your attitude into the alignment with Jesus' attitude. Verse 5. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, so he is God. He is the creator. He has always been, always will be. He is the I am. And so even though he was in fact God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. So we're talking about the relationship with God the Father by God the Son. They were in fellowship with one another from eternity past. When the plan needed to be put into force, that is, Jesus needed to come and be, and be the human uh, incarnation. When that time came, he did not think that his equality with God was something he needed to keep clinging to, grabbing at. Instead, this is what he did. Verse 7, But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant. So he is God, the Creator, but he divests himself of his divine prerogatives. He empties himself of all those rights and privileges that being God and creator just naturally are innate to him. So he emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of man. So this is the incarnation. This is God became, and he became a, an embryo. He became the product of, of divine conception in the womb of Mary. He started the same human existence all of us have had. So he came and he was made in the likeness of men, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So he, he was tested and tempted in any way like unto ourselves. That's the book of Hebrews. Yet he did it without sinning. He didn't cave into the temptations that we've caved into. And so when he had, 
proved that he could live 100% as a human being and, and have victory over temptation, he then did the atonement. He became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He offered himself as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And he went through the horrors of crucifixion and of being separated from the God of eternity. He did all of that to save us. He didn't invoke his rights. He didn't invoke his his privileges. He said, this is what's needed. I will do it. And so verse 9 For this reason also God highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, remember his name means he who is salvation. So at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So everyone eventually will have to acknowledge that. Some of them will not acknowledge it freely. But for those who have acknowledged it freely, who have become followers of Jesus Christ, who have become the saved and the redeemed and the Spirit-filled, our responsibility is to value other people in the same way Jesus valued us. So we've got to have an attitude adjustment of caring about other people more than ourselves.